When Shamrock Rovers got one back, tears came to my eyes. And we went two and up, and I heard those thousands of Sligo people. I was proud, and we went out and won. Best town in the world. Best town in the world. Best town in the world. More drama here. Chilali. North. Elding. 3-2. They've been looking for Stenson's head away at the far post. And over it comes Elliot. Stenson. 1-1. Oh, brilliant. 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 Here comes Quigley. And it's there. It's Sligar over 3. St. Patrick's Athletic 2. And that could be the decisive moment in the title race. We will never forget this day. Welcome along to episode 90 of the Bitter Red Supporters Trust podcast. Roman Flanagan here this week. And this week, delighted to be joined by Connor Lynch. Connor, how are you? Very good, Roland. Uh, yeah, great to be back on the pod. Thanks. Jerry Connor, how's things? Yeah, not so bad, Ron. Sean Don Muster Crack. Not too bad at all. And Donald Kelly, Connor's Tatu. Oh my God, Hannah Ron. Not too bad. Thanks, Ron. So this week, we will look back on Saturday night's 1-0 defeat to both of the showgrounds. We will hear your shouts from the shed end. We will speak to the White Hag co-founder, Bob Coggins. And we will also chat to Martin Mullen, Dundalk fan and part of the fan cast, The Men Who Save Football, to look ahead to Friday night's upcoming game at Oriel Park. And we'll also look ahead to that game and also Easter Monday's trip to Talca Park to take on Shelburne. So first of all, lads, we'll go back to Saturday night at the showgrounds, the one 0 defeat to Bowes. Uh, Connor, I'll start with yourself. I suppose there's been a bit of talk, but it was it was a tight game, and it was a goal. I suppose a corner came into the box, but it was it was a, a tough way to lose that game. It was a very very tough way to lose that game. Um, but that said, I left the showgrounds feeling quite positive about things. Um, Look, obviously we'll talk about it at length uh, going forward, but um, we're not creating enough chances or we didn't create anywhere near enough chances to win the game. Uh, but look, at I think there was some, across the board, there was some real standout performances. Um, you couldn't fault the effort that the team um, made. And so, you know, I felt very positive about things coming out despite uh, the significant disappointment of the result. And Sean, Connor mentioned there are a few positives from your own perspective. What positives can, can we take? I suppose starting off with the, the first half. Got a few positives to take from it. I was I have the same thinking as Connor. I walked out of there oddly uh, satisfied as such in terms of the performance, um, but disappointed with the result. Uh, individual performances were excellent throughout. Maybe a bit of cohesion at times, just attacking-wise, where we just weren't creating enough. But I suppose we'll get into all that later on. But yeah. Just on the outlook of it all, Ronan, very disappointed to lose, especially in the manner that we conceded the goal. It was a terrible goal to concede. But um, as I said already, a lot of positives from the individual performances. And Jerry, could touch on the individual performances, first of all, most of where would you start maybe would be started the, the defence, two centre half. You saw John Martin starting. Yeah, um, I think it was the right decision to go with John. Just to, you know, in order to deal with the physicality of uh, Ophelabi. Made a couple of mistakes, but you'd expect that too, because he's he's just getting back into it. But um, I thought he'd done really well overall. And Nando as well had a great game. And to be fair, look, no side, either side didn't look like scoring a goal. Um, I thought we'd done really, really well at the back. 
I don't know, just in a, in a fairly standard corner and we just got caught out. Um, I don't know if Luke got kind of caught underneath the ball or called the ball and, and defenders stopped. But the goal that they scored, your man just nodded in. It wasn't a case to where he was, you know, running at speed or to bury the ball in the net or that he got up well or anything like that. It was just nearly bounced off his head and went in. Uh, so it was kind of disappointing that we, we didn't keep a clean sheet. I think it was a game, and I said earlier on, I think it was a game where neither neither team deserved to win. And Donald, we touch on right back, Frank Levac starting right back. It was uh there was all the talk of who's gonna play right back. And from your own perspective, how how did you feel Frank did on, on Saturday night? I thought Frank coped pretty well in appearance to him. Like um uh, he did what he had to do, I suppose, maybe being a bit overly cautious, but uh, certainly he um Performed very well in a in a position that he wouldn't be, I suppose, overly okay with. But um, yeah, Frank playing a good shift like he always does. Can we touch on Max Matter, Connor? There was we know what Max Matter is all about, but unfortunately, it was yesterday. There was no. He was very good at winning the ball. He every ball that came up near him, but there wasn't the option for him to, mm. you know, to play off him. Well, that's it. Like, you, absolutely, you cannot fault him for effort, even though that's a kind of shitty cliche. cliche. It kind of uh, makes it sound like you, you could be, um, you know, pointing out things that went wrong, but you couldn't fault him. Uh, and like that, um, when a ball goes to him, he he can deal. He can deal with balls that come in the chest, balls to feet, um, but he needs um, he needs people running off him. And before we started recording, Sean was talking about it. Sean's probably the man to talk about here because. Um, one thing you were saying, Sean, was about the amount of number 10s that Max has had to play with uh, over the seven games so far. Yeah, well, that's I was just saying to you off here. It's just that he's played with three number 10s. So to find a bit of fluency and build up a relationship with the man who's going to be playing off him, you know, it takes a wee bit of time. It doesn't just come straight away. Because bearing in mind that Max played with Keenan as the number 10 for the majority of the season last year. So it's not like he played with Barlow as such and both Stefan and Bogdan are both new to the club, obviously. So... You know, he has to build up that relationship there with one of the lads and he hasn't had time to do that. So, you know, it's going, that all that is going to take time, even in regards to the wide men, you know, with Hartman and Fitzgerald. Fitzgerald is the only constant that he's had within the front three so far because he started with Levac as the right midfielder now Lee, and then now Hartman has dropped in there instead. So there is a lot of, there's a lot of factors to consider, I think, so far in terms of our creativity and it all clicking and coming together as one. In my opinion, anyway, I feel as well like we do need to get players closer to Max. Um, I feel our, our wingers, their starting position is nearly touch tight to the lines. We start very, very wide. And like Fitzgerald likes to stay there. He likes to go on the outside of a full back and get the ball in the box, whereas Hartman is the complete opposite. He'd start wide, but he likes to drift inside. He likes to give himself the space and the ability to drift by players then. So we, I personally, I like to see Hartman of all players get closer to Max and get closer to whoever number 10 be. And judging by last night, I would say it's going to be Bogdan going forward. I think he suits the system. I, I wonder, I wonder what, what, what do other people, who do, do we, is there a consensus that across the, the five of us that Bogdan might be the, the number 10 or, or what do other people think? I, the only thing I would say, um, Sean is so, like last night was Bogdan's second start, but he's not getting past. He needs to get past Max Mata in order for that threat to become real. 
thought uh, I'd be interested to know what Ronan and, and Donald and Jerry, what your thoughts on are on who that number 10 might be. For me, I'd probably have Bardo in at the number 10 or just to have him on the pitch. I just think he brings that energy and drive and a bit of spark uh, that we're probably maybe lacking a little bit at the time. I think Bogdan is a quality player, but I don't know, just when we went behind last night, it just it was still at the same kind of pace. There was no kind of urgency. His body language just was kind of annoying me a little bit, to be fair. Um, and maybe that's just his style, but you know, sometimes you need to change your style or up, get a bit of oomph in you to 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 claw the game back. Um I don't know if it's a case look, we only have one number nine as far as I can see. Um which is a bigger worry for me than the number ten position because we've got probably four players that could play number ten, the three that we just mentioned and including Frank as well. Um is it a case of where we don't go without now number nine to change things around and get your best players on the pitch? your best attacking players and maybe rotate it or play Bardo up front. Or, do you know that kind of way? Um, I think we've got really, really good players. But on the other hand as well, I just don't think the pitch suited us last night. I, the pitch was was cut, absolutely cut. I was on it after the game, doing the divots and that. And I just, even going into the ground yesterday evening, just looking at the pitch, you know, sometimes from afar you think, oh, that looks good. But it just looked poor. It was worse than... It was better for the previous game than it was for last night. It was just bumpy. You know, we've got good technical players and they need to take a touch before they can pass it. You know, and that's what our game is about. So that must be really, really frustrating for the players, regardless of who we play. Because, you know, if it's if you need to take a touch, it's just it's slowing us down. And if I was to answer your question, Conrad, I would say Berlin myself. But... Like Jerry's saying about Bogdan, like it, it is clear that he is a very good player, and it was frustrating to see. Like I know I don't, I don't want to rehash the points that Jerry made, but is he too hard on himself, Bogdan? Like he, he missed a few chances yesterday, and you're kind of thinking, you know, get on with it, like and yeah, I suppose Barlow suck it up, like get on, yeah, with it. like Barlow just I don't know he. Not that he gets on with it, but he he, he, he has a devil may care attitude. Yeah, he, he understands what he's supposed. To, he seems to understand what he's supposed to do, and I don't know. The other two lads are sometimes it's just it's frustrating to watch them. Hey Donald, I wonder. Do you think there's more? Is there pressure on John Russell to play the likes of Bogdan over Barlow because you know Bogdan is the international who's coming in, and I don't know. Maybe they're spending more money on him, so they've got to Bogdan's got to prove himself. You know, is he just more likely to pick the likes of Bogdan over over the local lad? Um, I don't know. I I I would think myself, Connor, that uh, John will make the decision that he feels is right. I don't. I don't think that. That's, uh, such, a, that's such a politician response there. <laughs> but it's true, right? Like, I, like if there's like like John Russell will back himself, and uh, I think he'd make the decision that he feels right. Now, last night. Like those two centre halves, the both have like they're 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 big units. You know, I think maybe Barrow might have been a better choice last night than 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 Bogdan. Uh, something different. I certainly bring him on a bit earlier. Than... Well, like if, if the goal, if the if both scored earlier, I think you might you, you might have seen that change happen quicker, and then you might have got more out of the characteristics of of uh, of Barrow than that of Bogdan. Like I I have to say, like I mean, like I know goes 
fans are cocked the hoop there now, they're top of the league and so on and so forth. But to me, like I was very disappointed with Bohemians, I have to say. I, I thought they were bang average. Um you know, they just sat in, they didn't want to play, they didn't do you know what I mean? They, they, they were, I thought they were quite negative in when in the way they approached the game. Um, very percentage based thing, weren't they? They just played percentages all yeah, week. yeah, very safe, yeah. And uh, like Jerry said, like the pitch certainly didn't help us. Uh, certainly didn't help us either because it, it, was, it was it was very very poor, very patchy and bobbly and so on and so forth. So look, um, it's just uh, I don't know. Um, is there a case, lads? Is there a case to be made for maybe Barlow starting as the number eight? Whereas you know, in the two where we've had Morahan now and Bulger both playing in there, or maybe a combination of Browning and Bulger. Is there a case for kind of letting one of them drop? I know Magoo was saying it as well in the group earlier on, and maybe having Barlow, he was championing for Stefan, I suppose, but I was just thinking maybe as Barlow going in as the deeper-lying player. Well, like that again, Radoslavovic was the choice ahead of Barlow. I mean, I would have liked to have seen... I think the more, the more podcasts we do, it's almost like the more we want to see of Barlow more often. Because, like, I, I, you spoke about the, the body language of, uh, of Bogdan, Jerry, after the goal, and then you just know that you're not going to get that with, with Barlow. In fact, he's probably going to up his game further again, yeah. you know, in, you know once, we, once we go a goal or two down or whatever the adversity might be. He's going he's gonna to step up to the challenge. Yeah, you're just looking for that reaction, aren't you? You know, just to kind of up it. Um... And just that 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 little bit of urgency and and you know pushing on. So yeah, and I think Kalen gives you that, doesn't he? But even from last night, like where as I was saying already, both Barlow and Bulger were brilliant. Or not Barlow, sorry, Morhan and Bulger were excellent last night. But just that bit of progressive attack and play needed to come into it from somewhere, just from the midfield. I think that's where Barlow could have given us that either. If it was him as the number ten, or him coming in as the as the number eight, but I I felt he was the one to come into the team as well last night. And like I had said that on last week's pod, that that's what I was hoping would start. But obviously Bogdan got the nod ahead of him. And even though I did, I thought personally Bogdan played really well last night. But there was just an influence, as he says there, when we went one down, his his body language didn't change it. With he was going to give you the same. I think he's going to give you the same. Throughout the whole ninety, no matter what's going on, even if we're winning three or four nil, it's going to be the exact same thing as if we're losing three or four nil. That's just the type of player he is, and whereas we're looking for that little bit more in terms of attitude and fight and desire in certain certain times of games and like that. Last night was one of them, so that's why we kind of want to see Barlow. And I think everyone's just taking a massive shine to Caelan because he is such a good player as well. And Jerry could touch on the referee. Like, I suppose we've been talking before about referees and could spend hours talking about the decisions that have made. But I suppose once again, decisions yesterday were uh, left a lot to not to be desired. Yeah, look, unfortunately, we are talking about it again, Ronan, but like it's, um, we're not the only ones. And it is a topical su- subject every week. Uh, I wish it wasn't, but it is. Um, like, I watched the Ross County versus Celtic game this morning. And, um, there was tackles and challenges flying in all over the place. It was, it was a good game, good physical game. Nobody got hurt. Nobody got injured. There was zero uh, cards given out in the game. Not one. Not one yellow card in Scottish football. 
you rewind to last night, there was six yellow cards given out. Four to us, two to Bose. There wasn't a bad challenge in the game. Where are the referees getting these cards from? We made it to 45 minutes without a card. And the usual crack, he's nearly panicking. He starts throwing him out like confetti. Um, you know, like, where is there six yellow cards in that game? And that old cliche of where you'd hear English people saying, oh, the League of Ireland, you know, it's a, it's a tough league. It's very physical league. It's not a physical league anymore. You're not allowed a bloody tackle. If there's a tackle, it's a yellow card. If you open your mouth, it's a yellow card. There's, It's just, it's gone bananas. How is there six yellow cards in that game last night? Someone, someone tell me how. Because I, I don't understand it. I don't understand it. Tell you how, Jerry. They're looking to make up the old bonuses for getting the fines in. That's what it feels like, though, doesn't it? Yeah. Because there it wasn't there, a bad tackle. The no, there was, it wasn't play, played in any bad temperament whatsoever. Both sides very respectful towards each other. Even on the benches, they even looked bemused when the yellow cards started. Just, and they flew out over nothing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and Connor, you made a good point there as well, just about Ali Coote. Uh, well, Ali, Ali Coote clearly uh, was, I can't remember what the incident was. Uh, I think it was in the first half, but he clearly went up to uh, Rob Hennessy and he was gesturing for a, a card to be issued to one of the Rovers players. And the referee kind of just waved him away, like, you know, just where you go, where you go now. Uh, but rewind back to Caelan Barlow, who questioned whether uh, one of the opposition players was already booked and he got a yellow card. And like that is such a simple it's such a, when you talk about consistency, sometimes, um, you know, the idea of consistency in in refereeing or in, in football can be, you know, somewhat subjective. But something like that, if if somebody asks for a yellow card, just book them. And like, like it was just a clear example of the like it's, it's the lowest level of or it's the easiest means to present yourself as being consistent or the referees as an organisation to being consistent. If somebody asks for a yellow card, book them. Alec, who clearly was looking for for cards to, to be issued last night, and he didn't receive any yellow card. So that that just, I mean, that boiled my piss. Uh, Dan McDonald wrote an article a couple of weeks ago in the Independent, and he said that um, th- that the, the league could see over a thousand yellow cards issued this season, which is off the charts. Uh, at the moment, we're looking at about four point two six cards issued per game. I think the Premier League uh, in England, and I know. The apples and oranges and all that kind of crack but I think there's somewhere like close to just three uh, cards per game and, and we're on four and a half like you might you might in the cold light of day those numbers might look hugely different but they're average numbers you know so like we're we're regularly seeing five or six cards in a game it's crazy like how can you go from having no cards whatsoever in the first half to then where are we two three four five six in the second half like the game didn't change, the tempo of the game didn't change, nothing changed throughout the whole game. Can you see so who got booked there, Jerry? Who got Sean, booked? Sean, who got booked? You'd not, the one booking that I can legitimately say was a booking was for Niall Morhan. He done a foul in the second half. He had to take the man down. They, they caught us on a counter for they caught us cold. No problem with that whatsoever. Ref done his job. For everything else, I can't, I can't think of a legitimate. Who else was booked? Just remind me. So for us, there was Hartman, Hodgson, and Vasterk, and then they had Ben and McManus booked as well. So yeah, I, I remember. I remember. And actually, um, actually, Ben should have been sent off, but he's the he was playing at right full, wasn't he? And he he got he up for granted. He was he was substituted off then. Yeah, 
and he should have been sent off. Yeah. But, you know, I, I nearly wish we did deserve four yellow cards at times. Do you know that kind of way? Because I think sometimes, you know, for me, I think there's a little bit of a soft underbelly. Uh, like how you could call our team physical. It's just ridiculous to get four yellow cards. And the only thing about the only bit of consistency is that we're getting that number of cards every game. But Jerry, I would say John Russell is telling his team, he's, he's putting a team together deliberately not to get yellow cards. Yeah. Because he, like, no more than any manager, he doesn't want to have players suspended. But I would say John Russell is telling his team, when you go out there, don't get booked. Like, and he's, I wouldn't be surprised if that's a, a direct uh, direction from him to, to the team. Don't get booked because we can't afford to be losing players. And they're, they're so card happy anyway that it kind of it, it enhances the, the, you know, him saying something like that to, to make sure that you don't get booked. Because, you know, like that, the, the, the Robbie Benson incident the other day was, you know, like, like it's a yellow card. It's a yellow card, you know. But even like the consistency for the follow-up for the second yellow, like the, they're, but they're not showing that. Like there's loads of players staying on the pitch that actually deserve to be sent off. Even in our own case with John Mahan and Derry, John probably should have been sent off if right is right. You know, and we're seeing it last night as well where they probably should have a player sent off as well. He has two quick fouls on the bounce and nothing's given. So Devine sees that and hooks the lad off. You know, it's just, it's really frustrating. And even, never mind the cards, we've the aspect of where their goal comes from. It's a clear as day foul yeah. on Frank Levi. He pushes him with two hands in front of the line. You couldn't yeah. be closer. Right under his nose. You could. It genuinely, like I was behind the goals last night, but couldn't get my usual seat in the stand. So it's actually few. Yeah. Uh, wasn't far from you, Jerry, where you stand. Yeah. And it was just, it was unbelievable. I couldn't actually believe what I was witnessing. He literally just stood there and pushed him with his two hands, and Frank even took the stumble. But I think he was too honest and stayed in his feet. If he goes over, it's, you know what I mean? They have no choice but to give it. But for the linesman not to flag for that, but it was just bananas. There, there's the, the linesmen in the League of Ireland do not have any autonomy. They have to, they, it's, the referee has to make the decision, even almost for offsides. It's like the, the direction it throws. They look to the referee to see which way am I supposed to give this. Like the, the, a referee, a linesman can't go and, and wave for a foul. It's The referee has to do that first and then they'll get the flag up it seems to be the case but even we saw in Drahada and you were saying it as well lads you were up there like the linesman didn't give the throw half the time the referee pointed for the throwing he was giving it you know if it was going which yeah, way gives the wee nod mm. like, the, the, the linesman actually looks at the referee the referee gives the nod and then they give the throwing but then there's the inconsistency where the linesman sometimes makes a big decision but can't make a decision for a throwing it's just all over the place and in fairness to to, to Damien Duff the other night he was absolutely and we wouldn't look most people in the league wouldn't agree with Duffer but he was absolutely spot on and he had the balls to call it out as well that the standard in the league is going up and up and up uh, in every way off on the pitch whatever the case may be but these guys are absolutely fucking the whole thing up so they are and it's as I said earlier on we're not the, everybody is talking about it yeah, everybody I, I, is talking about it. It's fucking ridiculous. Like go, they're go making back. themselves the stars of the shows, and yeah. also like we're looking at um, at attendances at an all time high. Like I can't remember the last time attendances were this high throughout the league. Even you look at us last night, three thousand seven hundred. Like that's incredible. 
bear in mind you give in the other factors of what was on yesterday evening like you had the Sligo Gaelic team participating in Crow Park there was junior football matches on you know there would, and a lot of those people would have came to the showgrounds as well so it would have been an even bigger crowd but even throughout the league okay we're trying to get attendances in and look we're not gifted with the best of pitches throughout this throughout this league so the style of football mightn't just always be the best. It's as good as it can be sometimes. But then you have these absolute, and I hate it, they're gobshites, absolute gobshites. Stop, start all the time, giving away these pointless, unbelievably bad decisions. Stopping the game all the time and just killing the, the phase of play. Let things go. And then when there's a, you can have a fella get kicked in the head one minute and nothing given. And then a fella taps him on the shoulder and he's, they're looking at red card situations. Like, even in that Shells game the other night, like, Paddy Barrett gets sent off for putting his hand across a man to go and win a header. That was like, a shocking decision. That's the most standard practice from a centre-half you'll ever see. That's what he has to do to get in front of his man. And we're and he, yet he's getting sent off. Like, he's bewildered by it. Yeah. What, what else is he supposed to do? Like? What, yeah. like, what literally is he supposed to do? Like, is he supposed to t- tie his hands to his body or something that he can't, you know, use? Like, it's... It's a physical sport. It's, yeah, it's, it's a physical sport. Like, but these fellas, these referees, look, honest to God, none of them must have ever fucking played football in their lives because they're half an, a clue. Not a clue. Sean, Sean, you hit the nail on the head. Just all they want to do is make the game all about themselves uh, to, be, to be the centre of attention. And the best referees are referees that you don't notice. And do you know what I mean? That actually let the game flow. I just, this crack of it, it's 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 just disappointing games you know it's it's, it's just it's, it's fierce frustrating right yeah every, just, game, look, every I, game just on that as well don't like look here, it's a different level altogether but just watching the man city and liverpool game as well earlier in the day and the referee he just let the game flow there was a few niggly challenges you know there was a bit of venom through the game naturally it's a big game for both clubs the referee just stepped back and just let it flow. Let the game flow. And it flowed brilliantly. It didn't need to be stop-start all the time and yellow cards flying left, right and centre. It just, that, if anything, that just aggravates players more. And it, look, this is where we have, something has to be done. I don't think the FBI will ever do anything. It's, we're, we're always going to be beating our heads off a wall in this situation, I'm afraid. But, but we will, where we're going to see it again is crowds will decrease. Because people coming back to watching this league and stuff, they're going to come in, they're going to watch a few games, and I'm like, I'm not sticking around for that. That's just, that's frustrating. Well, I, I, think, I think the comments of Damien Duff, um, I'd say that they'll resonate to some extent. I also think the fact that um, that O'Donnell and Bradley in the Dundalk and Shams game both agreed with the fact that it wasn't a red card is another uh, another opportunity for uh, it's, it's, it's something that's, that will probably resonate as well because there is this kind of revolt against this the standard refereeing and I think that, I think the FAI will have to do something yeah I thought they, though, they we might get, I thought we might get a, a better reaction though from Hennessy last night just that it might resonate with him um but that wasn't the case I thought like and especially after 45 minutes is oh there's no yellow cards but yeah, that's what I thought. That's and, then, and, then, and then I turned to my father and I said, the floodgates open. I said, they're coming, here they come. Here they no, come. that's because that's he went in at half time and he looked at his phone and a text message in, in the referee's WhatsApp group chat. You know what I mean? All the lads yeah. from here, you're showing Call him a loser. Yeah, but yeah. Something, something has to happen. But like nothing's going to happen this year. Um, you know, but they have, like, 
it has to be it almost has to be a priority for the league to to increase the, the standard. And Les, if we touch on the goal, Luke Luke McNicholas had a a good game. Apart from that, but I suppose from my own perspective, from second view, and it was could he have been stronger in that situation? I think he has to be rolling. Like if you're coming flat ball, you you take everything, man, ball, everything, or or you stay where you are, one the two. Do you know what I mean? You can't. Uh, I know what he was what he was thinking. He either come for the ball or don't. But just be decisive. Whatever you're doing, be decisive. You know, and like ultimately, like that's cost the point. A very very valuable point uh, in a very tight game against the league leaders. So I don't know. It was it was a disappointing um, end of the game. I suppose, yeah. It's a shame to see it as well because, you know, I thought he had done well with a few crosses that had come into the box earlier in the game. You know, there's one he got his fists on as well. It was a great, really good punch away. And another one, the, a really high one that nearly came in underneath the bar that he caught as well. You know, there was a lot of pressure on him. So he looked really confident throughout the whole game. Which And it was disappointing just to see him get caught in two minds. But, but like, he's not all to blame as well because, do you know what I mean? Nando was there. There was a few in around him that should have taken responsibility on as well. And it didn't. And that was, you know, one man shouldn't be beating four Sligo Rovers players in the box to the ball. Especially when there's no fucking pace on the ball, no nothing. It was, as Jerry already, I think it was Jerry you said earlier on, it was a simple header. It was, there was nothing to it. It was just, a, it was basically a tap and it trickled in over the line. You know, it, but you were nearly waiting on the fans to celebrate. It was, you know, it shouldn't have happened. And again, it's a situation where we've conceded from a set piece in a shitty form. And that's that. John Russell has to be tearing his hair out at that because, you know, nine times out of ten we're brilliant at defending set pieces, but then there's always this one where it's just a calamity altogether. That's that's three games in a row now, I think, Sean, where we've conceded from a from a corner, um, Cork, Derry, and last night against Bowes. So, like, it must, as you said, it must be very frustrating for the manager. I'm sure they're working on set pieces all week and getting organised and talking about it and analysing and who's picking up who and who's doing what. And for to concede in the 83rd minute where like the the the, the Polish centre-half doesn't even need to get off the ground, basically. He just bounces off his head, trickles over the line, like, fuck in hell. Such a way to lose a game. I ju- I'm just looking at it there, the, the cross, or the corner again. I think there's, including Luke, there's five Rovers players between... Yeah. Uh, the the center to the, the both center half going up for the corner and the goal mouth. That's not five good. five players there. But for me that for me that's it. look you can have all the tactics in the world you can talk about it till the cows come home you can do whatever but it comes down to desire a desire to keep a clean sheet a desire to take command of the situation a desire to be a leader a desire to just clear the bloody well ball yeah. you know there's no point clearing it ninety nine times and then the hundredth time you don't do what you're supposed to do. You're right. You're absolutely right in what you're saying because, you know, tactically, it's a case, whereas if that man's on his own and there's no one around him, then your tactics have failed. He's got away. He's out. He's outsmarted your system and he's in, his, he's in space on his own. If he's surrounded by the players, by our, by our defenders, whoever's set up in the defensive system for the corner, if the opposition is surrounded, then we should be winning the ball. Especially against one man, that means uh, whatever John Russell and Ryan Casey says to them to do, and their positions to be in, they're there. They have to go. Then it becomes the individual responsibility of them going to win the ball. John Russell and Ryan Casey can't hold their hand 
uh, every step of the way and say, right, now now it's time to jump. You've just got to go and win the fucking ball. Yeah. Simple that. Yeah. When you're standing there looking at a fella nodded in, it's on you. It's on yeah. either Luke has to make the call and say he's coming and take everyone with it. Take your own players with you. It doesn't matter. Take them with you. Yeah. Look at like Luke, sorry, Luke's going for that ball. Like he's going into he's going into a ruck of players to win that ball, right? Like if you're doing it, do it. Yeah, but do you know what I mean? But don't do that and not win the fucking ball. Do you know? Do you know what I mean? Like, I, I ain't sorry. I, I, I don't because like what Jerry said. Like, I thought Luke had a very good game last night. I thought it was actually probably one of his best performances. But like, either do it or don't do it. But don't be caught between two stools. Be decisive in everything that you do. Do you know what I mean? And commit to it. It's uh, it's it's down in between the other fellas as well when you don't come. Yeah. But if you if he steps out into it, like yes, naturally I suppose. Defenders might stand off and say, right, keeper's coming for that. But I don't know, someone else has to take responsibility on it. So it's just, it's too slow a movement. It's not a ball within yeah. a pace. There's like, loads of time underneath it. Like I, I, I was complaining about the pitch earlier on, you know, about, you know, it doesn't make, it doesn't make the, the technical players uh, game any easier. It obviously makes it harder. But we can talk about technical players. We can talk about, passing movements, we can talk about all this, that and the other. But if you can see the goal like that, that's, you know, the, the, there's no point having, you need to do the nasty stuff too. You have to do the dirty stuff. You have, have to put in the, the, you know, the desire to win the ball. Simple as that. You have, you have to do it all. You have to do it all, especially in this league. It's nip and tuck the whole way. And I guarantee you, every game this season will be 1-0, 2-1, one, one all. There'll be nothing in any of the games. And what it'll come down to is the fellas that, you know, are prepared to do the dirty stuff as well. And, you know, it's it's so frustrating because we had done it all night as well because, as we've already touched on, where Bowes played the percentages, where they were playing the balls up to Lavi and playing off them with Akintunde and Coot and everything, we, we played into that. We've Anything they tried, we've, we devoured them. You know what I mean? Man, absolutely. Ed up over Abbey all night. Pineacker, yeah. absolutely brilliant. They fought, they fought for everything. The desire was there. Levac at right full. He was excellent. Very composed. Left full again. Hutchison didn't put a foot wrong all night. Yeah. Uh, maybe I'm maybe I'm being a bit harsh, but no, no, Jerry, I just think you need to do the dirty stuff. You know, you need to you can't switch off. Yeah, you, know, you have to win the ball. You have to have a desire to keep a clean sheet. We haven't kept a clean sheet all year. But Jerry, that's exactly. I'm not saying you're you're wrong in, in any and way. Three games in a row we've conceded from set pieces. Yeah, you can't. Not good enough. You can't stop doing the dirty part for any stage of the game. There's no point in the game where you can just say, oh, "I won't just do it now." Defense, defending corners, it just has to be a case of get your head on it and get it out. You know, go and win it. Like two big men in there, like Max Mata, Pineacker, and Man, they're three of the biggest players on the pitch. But you need a leader and an organiser there, Sean, as well. And again, I, something that I've said going back, do we have that player? I know, like, probably Shane Blaney might not have been everybody's cup of tea, but he was vocal. And he organised he organized players. I don't know. It, it, do we ha- is, is Nano that kind of player? Is John Matton that kind of player? I don't know. We, we just... Uh, I did it as well. Yeah, I did as well. And is Luke, is Luke like that? Do you know what I mean? So it's... Yeah. You, know, you want fellas that are, that are prepared to bite the opposition. Do whatever it takes. Mm. I know that sounds crazy, but you need that bit of fucking fire in your belly. Yeah. It's, it was just... It you need was to get back strong. to basics. Yeah. yeah too soft. Fuck, fuck this. So we'll, we'll, we'll 
you know, 20 passes to score a goal. No point putting 20 passes in to score a goal if it's going to bounce off some fella's head in the box and go into the net. Because, ah, sure, you know, we'll get away with it. Just uh, just in relation to the, I suppose I was looking forward to a pre-match libation around about six o'clock and uh, unfortunately O'Neill's was closed. So I went up to uh, my my old comrade Jimmy and the place was rammed with Bohemian supporters. Like literally, it wasn't even standard money. I just thought I, was, I, I, I thought it was it's, it's worthy of, uh, of, of noting anyway. Like, you know, it's all fine and well, I suppose, as Jimmy has a business to run and so on support, like, but it's just I just thought I, I was I was disappointed that you couldn't you couldn't get up near the showgrounds for a pint before the game was it was uh it was disappointing. Obviously, you know, O'Neill's had a bravery to their family and sympathies to them were uh, I just think that uh, you know, you should look after your own Jimmy if you ever listen to the podcast. Uh, we we we'd be there when uh, we'd be up having a pint before the game, uh, before the UCB game or the Draw the game, or what, do you know what I mean? Just, just because um, there's a bus load of fellas coming down to spend a few bob, you know, uh, look after your locals, basically, is what I'm saying. I think that tradition, though, uh, sorry, tradition, uh, Donald has been nearly kind of lost. I remember one time where you know, you'd have say Moonies and O'Neill's be kind of rammed with people uh, before the game, and then at half time to be an absolute mayhem to get out of the ground over to Mooney's for the halftime pint. Like that that kind of has gone, um, unfortunately, and I suppose it's kind of not really helped by uh, maybe the popularity of away fans travelling to games now, where, you know, that kind of match night tradition has, has been lost over the last couple of seasons for, for Rovers fans. Um, I would think, Jerry, and maybe I'm reading too much into it, but it was like Bose had one up on us uh, even before the ball was kicked during that game, that's 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 how annoyed I was. Like, like I had to go the whole way back into town to go for pint for the game. And do, do you know what I mean? It, it, it may sound absolutely ridiculous, right? But at the same time, that's part of your match night experience. In it, your, it is your, part of my match night experience. Your routine, and, and, but it's tradition like, too. It's know, been lost. I was walking down Churchill, and there's both fans laughing at us having to walk down Churchill because they were after taking over our fucking local. Like I tell you, it's a joke. I'll be honest with you, it's a joke. And I, I, I don't know. Anyway, look at, I'll say no more. But I just thought it was very, very disappointing. Really, really disappointing. And um, I'd be, I'd be thinking twice about where to go for a pint for before a game again. And anyway, put it that way. Yeah, I know it's a, it is a pity. Um, as I said to you, that tradition seems to have have gone. And I, I, you know, it's kind of, you know, a lot of people like to go for a drink before the game and and kind of take that, uh, you know, as part of the old, overall national experience and stuff like that. And it is kind of, it's it's a bit of a shame. But um, look, hopefully with the new ground, we can get something up and running within the ground, you know, and uh, I suppose make the national experience. So, you know, I suppose you have to offer something to everybody too. Like um, one thing I, you'd notice as well, particularly about the, the Bohemian supporters, like, their demographic is completely different to what ours is in that it's all young lads in their 20s, 30s, maybe even 40s. So, you know, uh, I don't know where I'm going with this, but um, but the, I, what I, I suppose what I'm trying to say is that you have to cater for everybody. You know, it's great to see families. It's great to see the, you know, so many women going to the games, uh, you know, and again, like they like their teas and coffees and, but you've got guys that are in their 20s, 30s, 40s that like a pint too. And you have to cater for them as well. And at the moment, I suppose, that's somewhere where we 
we kind of fall down as a club. Um, and now with the, as I said to you, with the popularity of, of the of the League of Ireland and the popularity of the showgrounds and Sligo for because I think it's probably the fit a lot of away fans' favorite ground and that really enjoy it. You know that kind of way. So we're probably suffering a little bit in terms of that. Uh, and hopefully, look, we can maybe rectify that at some point. Now it's time for your shouts from the shed end. Don't forget, after every game, we ask for your shouts from the shed end on a WhatsApp voice note 85 or on email to podcast at brst.ie and we can hear those now. Well, that's Aaron coming here. Um, yeah, hard to know what to make in that game last night. Um, you felt as the game wore on, um, one goal was going to win it for either team. Uh, unfortunately, I went to Bowes. Um, played well in some patches. I uh, thought Noel Moran and Greg Bulger had a great game in midfield. Uh, but, yeah, that's another goal conceded from set piece. That's three games in a row now. Uh, one against Cork, uh, one against the Brand- in Derry in the Brandywell, and then one tonight against Bowes. Um, don't know if it's a case where we're just not um, marking properly or the goalkeeper's just not coming out and clearing everyone. I know McNicholas was looking for a free last night, but don't think he can have any complaints. Um, yeah, I think another problem that could be happening is just Mata is very isolated sometimes. Um, like his hold-up play is still very good, but it's just there's no one else kind of in and around him kind of capitalised when he's holding it up so yeah just hopefully um, we can sort out those few issues and kick on for the rest of the season because I think the squad is there to do a lot better than where we are we're fourth but like you look at last night Bowes are leading the league at the moment but we went toe-to-toe with them same with Derry up in the Brandywell and Shans at home so we're well able to compete I just think we need to sort out a few mistakes so yeah, roll on the dock in Shelburne next. That's your shouts from the shed end. Don't forget, after the games against Dundalk and Shelburne, you can get them in on a WhatsApp voice note to 085-815-9767 or on email to podcast at borst.ie. Okay, we're joined by Bob Coggins from the White Hag uh, ahead of... The ninth edition of Extravaganza, which is taking place on the 12th of August uh, of this year in Ballymote. Uh, Bob, did you, when you started the Extravaganza experience, did you think that you'd be going nine years later? Yeah, I, I'd hoped we'd be going. Uh, I didn't anticipate it'd be going as well as it is now. We, we would have had the first Extravaganza was essentially a, a piss up in the brewery at Christmas on the 29th of December. I'm going to say 2015, no, 2014, actually. And then uh, we moved into the summer as a birthday festival. And then we've just been rolling it since. And uh, it's gotten bigger and better to kind of max out our capacity at 1500 on site. And uh, yeah, it's kind of like a, a two day ritual now, which is um, attended by people from all over the country and Western Europe. Uh, breweries from all over the world and it's a lot more work an awful lot more work than the first one yeah but but it's um it's um 
it's been hugely successful um and i guess in for people who might be familiar with the the concept it's um it's almost like a conference a beer conference for uh craft uh beer drinkers and uh, brewers so there is that kind of international aspect to it there's there's brewers from around the world who come to Ballymote to uh, present their wares alongside that of the white hat yeah so the idea is we call it an international brewery festival so you bring the breweries there and the beer fans follow and and the concept will be that you bring breweries who bring beers that have never poured in ireland before so if you're an irish brewery who we invite and we always have four or five irish breweries we ask them to bring a new beer if you're an international brewery, if you've been in Ireland before, you send beer to Ireland, you bring new beers. If you've never been here before, you just bring some of your core beers. The idea is you've got 90 or 100 beers that you've never poured before in Ireland. And that is hugely compelling for beer drinkers to be able to access, you know, instead of going to a pub in Sligo and maybe drinking a new beer or two new beers or going to one in Dublin and drinking maybe 10 new beers, to have 90 or 100 brand new beers available on your doorstep in Ballymote uh, is, is a very compelling offer. So that's what we try to do. And it is, we spend a day on the Friday doing that kind of beer conference thing, but it's not a conference. It's a mobile session where we get all the brewers without any commitments to just meet up, get them on a bus, get them on a boat, bring them to a couple of different places around Sligo, like the, the distillery and the oyster farm and um, uh, down to up to Knocknaray and, out to the brewery and maybe a shebeen or two, an old pub that's been closed down that we've reopened, etc. Um, we do a couple of things like that with them. That kind of settles them in and gets them to see Sligo, really welcomes them to, to Sligo and, and gives them time that they don't normally get at a beer festival. And then on Saturday, they're at the festival talking to each other, talking to beer fans, talking to distributors and trade and just having a good time, you know. And so uh, people who are interested in attending, uh, how do they get tickets and how fast do they need to think about purchasing tickets? Do, does this thing sell out fairly quickly? Yeah, last year we sold out a couple of weeks in advance and and, and such was the buzz after last year's that I anticipate we will sell out even quicker this year. Um, tickets are via uh, link in our social, so White Hag on um, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, off the website. It, they're, you ultimately end up on Eventbrite and it's Eventbrite tickets. Tickets are 35 quid. We had to put them up a fiver since last year because it cost us a fortune run because costs had absolutely spiraled between the spring and August. But when you get on site, um, beers are like between 150 and 300 mil for uh, of beer and that'll cost you kind of 253 quid. So it's it's a great way of being able to taste lots of beers and not having to you know spend five, six, seven quid on a pint or, or on a, on a mm. can. Um, and then the food's all fairly affordable. It's all token done. It's a token system um, on site. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's generally a fairly affordable day out. And, it's, and everyone tells us it's great value. It's a great day out. And there's nothing like it um, in the West of Ireland. It's, it's certainly the biggest international brewery festival in the country. So yeah. Um, yeah. So this, need- is a, this is an over 18th event, I suppose it goes um, without saying. Yeah, yeah, we don't. Have, we actually can't get insurance for kids um, or dogs unless they're um, guide dogs. It's amazing what you can and can't get insurance for this weather. But certainly, it's uh, it's been challenging to cover some of the aspects. Like, is there going to be dancing? Is one of the things the insurance company asked us. Like, how do you have fifteen hundred people and you stop them dancing? Like, you just have one prick with a phone and suddenly there's a dance off going on. Yeah. Uh, it, so, so you. Uh, so, so yeah, there were like there's live music. We had we had a band, we had a ten piece band from Galway called the Galway Social Club. Look it up on YouTube. Oh yeah, yeah they're yeah. absolutely massive. 
like the the roof was coming off the marquee at one point and uh and the place was hopping and you're kind of going to the insurance agent two days before and that ah, very little dancing <laughs> um so yeah there's bizarre parts of that it is an overrated event and and hopefully adults who don't dance too much so I know I know that um this uh, that Hagstravaganza is attended by more people from outside of Sligo uh, than that of oh. people from Sligo. So if if I am uh, if, if I'm a person from Sligo who wants to go out there, can I drive out? No, we don't. We don't take parking. It's like listen, it's an alcohol event. We don't want people bringing their cars. We don't want people being tempted to drive home if they miss a train. We tell people get the train out, get the train home. Simple as that. You get it if you need to get a taxi, get a taxi. But um, there's a bus service that's ad hoc ish as bus services around Sligo are but uh we would still get the train we we the, the events run around the train time so just don't be messing and people um, will people will know who attended uh the the bitter red supporters trust event that we ran out there a couple of years ago that the train is half the crack it is half the crack it's all the crack it's all the crack uh, and, and people can't believe it people from outside of Sligo uh don't really believe that you rent till we could rent a train you know it's not like hiring a bus or a taxi uh, and it wouldn't happen if it was in if it was in Dublin. This wouldn't happen. There's there's no way you get you know you'd be allowed to rent a train in Dublin um, to to run an event like this. And it's a lot of it's down to the the help we get from Irish Rail um, on that. But also, like we've got some help from the county council and from Fault Ireland, and then a couple of trade suppliers who help us support us people locally, local businesses. We do a thing called a food trail, which is uh, five or six. Um, Food outlets around Sligo, really good cafes. So uh, Lions's Cafe, obviously, um, uh, uh, Knox Branch. Jeez, I'm gonna leave someone out now and be cursed. Um, uh, Ashley and WB's, uh, WB's uh, coffee house. Yeah. Actually, both Branch and Rover Coffee. Um, and then five pubs do the food trail. I do the pub trail, which is the Swag, Connolly's, Lilies, Hargadens, and Bourbon. And basically, we have a trail, and and they help feed and and drink feed, feed and and, and uh, provide drink for the brewers who come. And by return, we ask all the customers who are festival attendees to go for their food in those in those and drink in those places. Due to the the success of of extravaganza, um, and because of the the amount of people that travel from outside of Sligo to attend, uh, you do have one little challenge in relation to. Accommodation, which I suppose um, is not exclusive to this event, but um, it's difficult to get uh, hotels uh, around the country at the moment. So, yeah, um, yeah. What's, what's your message to people who who may be attending from outside of Sligo? If you've got friends coming, or you or you know of people who are coming, and you've got spare rooms, or you've got an option on accommodation, let us know or let them know because what we're finding at the moment is people who've already bought tickets, and there was a really big run on tickets because we only let release them on Wednesday. But people are already going, where am I getting accommodation? How am I getting accommodation that's decent value? Or, uh, you know, the, the lad, lad, maybe groups of lads that are coming to a beer festival don't need to be staying in four-star hotel, but um, looking for student accommodation that might be otherwise occupied this summer. Um, w- there, There is going to be a real squeeze in accommodation. So we're going to have to be, um, we're going to have to be clever about how we approach it and how we kind of, and structure without having to manage it for people, you know, direct people towards options like maybe camping. Maybe people will have gardens or 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 fields that they want to help um kind of host people in. Maybe you've got spare rooms, maybe you've got Airbnbs or empty houses, caravans, campers, whatever. My camper's already booked out. I have a camper van uh, that um 
is full the week of it and the weekend of it. Um, so yeah, we'd oh, we gratefully take all suggestions. Uh, and hopefully it won't prove to be too much of an issue. But the other thing is, one of the benefits is people actually travel down from Dublin and go back that evening. Now, that's not a major benefit to Sligo Town, but if there's no accommodation, there's no accommodation. So uh, I can see that being a slightly um, a bigger, maybe a bigger cohort this year. Yeah, okay. So tickets are available from the website or through your social channels, and they are going uh, like hotcakes for 35 yep. euros. Um one I other suppose. thing, actually, one other thing, Connor, we, I forgot to mention, we also require volunteers uh, to help out. One of the things we, we, we need is uh, just people do some marshalling, managing the queue in, keeping them on the road, keeping cars out. We have a turning circle for taxis and our people getting dropped off. And we generally require a handful of volunteers, kind of five, six. We love to uh, take um, suggestions or take you know uh, voluntary um, applications. And everyone gets a beer at the end, if not two uh, or more, whatever we're legally allowed to give away. Uh, but yeah, so if anyone wants to help out and get a bit of experience around the festival uh, in advance, as well with the build and around the day, it'd be great. Get us on uh, our social channels. Okay, good stuff. So um, just before uh, we, we leave you, what's uh, what's new or what's uh, what's pouring at the moment for the White Hag that um, uh, people can uh, can go out and, and find either in their, their off-licenses or in their local pubs? Yeah. Uh, Literally yesterday, uh, we've launched a brand new beer, which is a uh, West Coast Hazy IPA. It's in Breeze. Uh, we gave them the dibs on on first pour in the country, um, Breeze and Strand Hill, and it'll be in all the good pubs in Sligo um, over the coming kind of week, probably Wednesday to Thursday. Uh, we've a bunch of new beers coming out for the summer. Uh, we're bring we're coming on our thousand brew which is um, going to be in maybe three weeks' time. So we're bringing out a beer called uh, Centennial Millennial, uh, which is featuring Centennial Hops, and it's a big bruiser of a beer. We have a bunch of um, bunch of just really interesting kind of one-off beers coming out over the next while, and uh, hopefully you'll see those kind of uh, through the social channels. Obviously, you guys had some beers in the showgrounds. Um, we had our dry stout that not a lot of people know about, but we sell a lot of it in France and Italy and a bit in the UK, a good bit in the UK as well. Actually, Manchester is a hotbed for it. But uh, it was interesting to see your reaction to the dry stout. Donald, you drank a good bit of it? I I absolutely loved it. I was, as the man says, I was like a suck calf drinking that, that stout in the showgrounds. It was absolutely top drawer. Yeah, and the, the reaction that we got, I, I don't remember what else we had. Did we have Little Fawn and, uh, and um, the, the Fawn, stout? Lager. A lager as well, I'd say. Yeah, Hello. and they were they were all hugely popular. Mm. Um, like they were just literally flying at the doors. Um, so yeah, and um, yeah, and, and we're getting a great reaction as well from all of the mostly Slag Rovers fans who are participating in our beer scorecast to um, to, to to win themselves a case of um, the Clan Box, which is a, a mix mash of uh, different. Brews that are coming out of, of Ballymote. So, uh, thanks to the White Hag and to yourself, Bob, for for their continued support and for sponsoring the the um, the podcast. We're very grateful. No hassle. One other thing we're doing is actually we're just letting people build their own boxes now. So you can actually build your box with any of our beer. Um, and the box is twenty four cans. So you pick six different styles, four cans of each, and build out the box. And that's getting more and more popular. And we obviously 
we love the association from you guys, the podcast, the reach you have, um, and also the support you guys build in for for the club itself and and for the supporters. You're providing a, a really great, um, kind of like a community uh, around the club for people who may not be able to attend in person or or you know or aren't there all the time, but feel connected to it through the discussions and uh, a lot of the shy talking you guys carry on, with, which is which is an invaluable uh value source of, of crack and information and opinion uh, <laughs> around the club. I enjoy it no end. Genuinely, it's a great association for us, so we're happy to be part of it. Yeah. I will say that night you had uh, in the clubhouse was particularly enjoyable for me. So I, my son was born that day and uh, I um, I was kind of leaving the hospital at whatever time, uh, maybe 11 o'clock at night. And I was like, geez, I'd, fucking, I'd kill for a beer now if, uh, if I could get my hands on one. But I didn't feel like ringing anyone and texting anyone. I just felt like I'm just going to go and have a can at home, you know. And then I remembered as I was driving home, I was like, the lads have that bar set up in the clubhouse. I must call in, you know. And uh, and I called in and it was like um, it was like a scene uh, from maybe three days after the cup careful final. Now, win. Careful now, Bob. Yeah, <laughs> it was, it was, it was definitely a bunch of lads who had enjoyed themselves, who'd had a successful season and were really enjoying themselves. Uh, but Donald told me he loved the stout 18 times. Uh, <laughs> and, and all, all at a different point in hand each time, left me un, un, under no illusions. Uh, but I, I was really delighted to see that working for you as an initiative. And it's, you know, it's something we should try later this year. Maybe we'll get you back out to the brewery for a revisit, rehash. Yep. Yeah, and I think that's something that we'd we'd love to do again. Um, and look, I, I think that um, you know, I think the opportunity for Sligo Rovers to uh, you know, to connect with a local brewery like the White Hag, and for both to promote themselves um from that connection going forward is a is a big opportunity. It would be great to have um that strong White Hag brand, White Hag branding uh, around the showgrounds in uh, in years to come, or even with the, the redevelopment of the ground to have. White Hag Bar. Uh, so, look at Bob. Thanks a million for for joining us, and um, very best of luck with the the extravaganza. We'll continue to mentioning it in the weeks leading up to it, and we'll share across our social channels as well. Jerry, we'll touch on now is quiz happening this Friday night at the Belfry. Yeah. So, um, as mentioned previously, so we've a football quiz. So it's not general knowledge or anything like that. It's it's. All, all the rounds will be on football, various different uh, rounds, say, like, for instance, on international football, on League of Ireland football, Premier League football. So there's something there to Gaelic suit football. everybody. Football, in, yeah, football in general. Um, so we will, the, the quiz will be kicking off um, straight after the Dundalk versus Rovers game, and we'll be showing the game in the Belfry as well. So no, it should be a really good night out, and it's, Good Friday, so a lot of people will be finished up work for the weekend and stuff like that. So it's a great way to, to kick off your, your weekend. Uh so yeah, hopefully we have lots of people attending. We've a lot of teams in so far. So if you'd like to put a team in, just contest contact us through our social pages. We'd be delighted to have you. And it's 10 euro ahead. Yeah, 10 euro ahead. And like if you've it's supposed to be four four people on team, but if you have three people, there's no problem, or two people or Five people, you know, it's not a, it's not well, mastermind. Well, a laptop will not be accepted, though. No, definitely not. <sighs> You'd be thrown out. So we're entering the team. The podcast is entering the team. Myself, yes. Connor, Sean, and McGill, we think. Yeah, very good. And Roland's pointing at himself. I don't know what he's saying. Roland, Roland, you're you're the laptop. 
the one will be in the toilet with the laptop. <laughs> yeah. You won't have to watch for that running, don't worry. <laughs> right, did I say now we're joined by Mark Mullen, who is part of the Dundalk fancast, the men who say football. First of all, Martin, you're welcome along. Hello, hello. Thanks for having me back. So, Martin, Dundalk, they currently lie in third position, seven games gone. I suppose, first of all, how has the season fared so far from a, a Dundalk perspective? It's one of those that the, the league table looks fairly generous on. You know, I think everybody's fairly satisfied with, with third place. Albeit, you know, we've really ground out a few results uh, with a sort of ropey enough start against UCD and Bohemians, right, at one point from those two games. And then we went on a bit of a run where, you know, we beat Pats very comfortably. But I think, you know, the, the Pats team that showed up that night uh, really left us to it. You know, it was a free-for-all that particular night. So I, I would say you could almost write that off in terms of the, the form guide. But after that, we played Shells, we played Drada, we played Derry, right? And we, you know, grand out, I think, seven points from nine there. And I don't think in any of those games we played particularly well, but we still managed to, you know, sort of get two wins and a, a draw from that. So... I think everybody was very satisfied with the uh, the number of points on the board, but I think the the way that we've been playing was not particularly great, which made it a bit of a surprise on uh, on Friday night, right? Obviously, we were well beaten by Shamrock Rovers four 0 at home, a second four uh, 0 home defeat in a row, which uh, is still sinking in, I think, with a lot of people. But it was probably some of the best football that I think we've played all season, right? So, you know, the team, you know, passed it very well often inside their own box or you know inside their their own half of the field there was a lot of rovers pressure but you know really didn't kick it away really tried to play football you know very hard but um you know being down to 10 men against a team of that quality it was it was really really difficult so you know a real mixed bag so far you know some um good victories some you know sort of uh good defeats you know in the the context of what was going on and then you know a draw against derry um was, uh, I think, a good result away from home, despite a sort of poor performance on the night. So it's a bit hard to tell what's what's coming next. So I'm not sure what we'll be in store for on Friday night. And there's been, before the start of the season, there was a lot of talk of which players Dundalk would bring in. And Stephen O'Donnell was kind of bemoaning the fact that he, he, wouldn't, he wasn't getting the players in that he probably wanted. But the players that have come into the club, how have they fared so far? Yeah, I, I think everybody's starting to settle in at this stage, right? You, you can sort of see some of those partnerships starting to develop. You know, people know each other, they know each other's game and things are, are coming together a little bit at that stage. But, you know, a lot of the transfer business was done very late, you know, in the window. There was, I think of the the team, the Face Bohemians and Daily Mint, I think maybe four of them, it was their first game for the club, right? They had been at the club, I think in some cases for less than a week, right? So that gives you a sense of how sort of quickly or hastily assembled, you know, some of that team was. And I think O'Donnell said after the game that uh, the the start of the season came a little bit too early for us. Uh, and you might've been right about that, you know. Um, now at the same time, I think we sort of questioned that a little bit on our podcast because the previous season, you know, there was a chaotic end to the season, right? The off season ended with the, the ownership of the club changing hands. Uh, there wasn't a lot of time to, you know, plan who was coming in, who was going, you know, this kind of thing. So it was, you know, chaotic. And the fact that we performed so well last season was really a big surprise. I think most of us would have been, you know, satisfied with fifth or sixth. 
so to get third place, I think was uh, really way above expectations. This year, I think, you know, we all expected with, uh, what we say, well-organized close season that we would do our business earlier, that we would, you know, get off to a, a good start in the league, um, that we'd, you know, hit the ground running. And instead, that's not what happened, right? I, I think it was quite surprising that it was after Christmas when almost all of the, the business was done, even the re-signing of, of some players who were already at the club. And um, so it did seem like a little bit more chaotic than we expected. Uh, but at the same time, I think the quality that's brought in is pretty good, right? I think Connor Malley, uh, who's playing that summer sort of number 10 role, uh, I think the stats, you know, that some of the, the League of Ireland folks are producing shows that he is, you know, more successful passes in the final third than any other player. Um, there's a couple of other people like Ryan Tullock out on the left, who's on loan, I think, from um, West Brom. Uh, you know, really good feet, bit of pace, uh, you know, has that sort of, you know, mercurial quality where you're not really sure what he's going to do next. I'm not sure his teammates know what he's going to do next either, but, you know, he's got that ability, you know, to really take on people, maybe two or three at a time and run at defenders and stuff like that. That's very exciting. Uh, and then there's a couple of other people, right? Archie Davis at right back has really impressed me so far. Um, really tends to back himself in one-on-ones. He's not afraid to, you know, knock the ball past somebody and, uh, and go chasing after it or even put in an odd trick here or there, you know, he's keen for a little bit of a, a step over or something like that. So there's definitely some exciting quality there. But on the other hand, we've been shipping a lot of goals. So I think that sort of indicates to you a little bit that there's work to be done, you know, on the training ground in terms of those partnerships and in terms of positioning and stuff like that, you know, to um, try and bed people in a little bit more. So lots of potential, but, you know, a, a work in progress. Martin, are the teams still uh, reliant on, like, despite those newer players that you mentioned, is the team still reliant on the likes of Andy Boyle and Sloggett and Hoban and you know, Robbie Benson, are they still central to the operation? I think so, yeah. You know, uh, there's there's a spine of the team there you've mentioned, probably throwing Nathan Shepard as well, who was excellent last season, but himself, Andy Boyle, Greg Sloggett and Patrick Hoobin, right, are really the, the spine of that team that I think everything else is built around. And when they all sort of collectively start together, right, they bring a lot of energy, a lot of experience and, you know, a lot of um, a lot of experience of the league itself more than anything. And I think that helps the players around them a little bit. So I think by contrast on Friday night, right, we were missing Pat Hoobin and John Martin had to, you know, sort of plow a, a lone furrow up front. And it was pretty difficult for him. You know, he was up against three centre halves, I think, in uh, Cleary, Hoare and Lee Grace on Friday night, like all very experienced uh, campaigners, you know, all very good in the air and this kind of thing. And so when Dodok really needed an outball, you know, to try and send it long and stuff like that, it was a thankless task for him, right? Um, he didn't have a whole lot of success up against them. And I think if you see somebody like Patrick Kubin in there, by contrast, like he's a much better sort of hold-up player, brings other players into the game a little bit more. You know, it's it's more of his game, really. So um, I What's think... the story with, with uh, Hoban? Was, is he injured? Will we see him uh, uh, in the next game? I don't think there's been any official statements on the injury, but apparently he picked up a hamstring strain in training. So... Don't know how serious it is um he was in the stands beside us on uh, on friday night so uh he, he was able to manage the stairs by himself right there was he wasn't in a boot or anything like that but um yeah i'm not sure what the prognosis is you know i don't know if he'll be back next week or if it could be you know a three or four week in relation to the to the the uh, game against uh shamrock rovers the defeat um well so obviously robbie benson's gonna be missing as well i'd imagine for a forthcoming game um both managers after the game um the Dundalk manager and Shamrock Rovers manager both said that it wasn't a red card. Do the TV 
Uh, LOITV didn't get a great um, detailed shot of the incident. Um, did you get a good look at it? Was it a, was it red? I mean, it was right in front of us in the stand, so we couldn't have got a, a better picture of it. Now, hand on heart, uh, I would say my first impression was that it was a red card uh, when I saw it. You know, Robbie Benson came in, I think, from distance with a lot of momentum, studs raised. You know, um, I, I didn't think he got the ball. Now, some of the footage that I've seen afterwards shows that he actually got a toe to the ball first. And I believe the club are planning an appeal uh, on that red card on the basis of, of that. It's difficult to say how successful they'll be. I think you know, the various people said that they've gone to the FAI panel before and they won't even look at the video footage, right? They make a decision in sort of 10 minutes with a, a panel of people together, maybe with the referee. And, the, um, the video's not going to show them anything though, really, is it? Yeah, well, I think there was a, a video from the stand side as well, right? So it was a sort of alternative angle uh, where you might see a little bit more. But um, honestly, like, like I said, I've seen it in real time. I thought, you know, that was um, that was a reckless challenge. Now, it's one of those that I think maybe, you know, sort of in slow-mo replays and stuff like that, there might be some mitigation to it and that kind of thing. But it was one of those, like at the time I said that, you know, Robbie Benson really gave the referee a decision to make about what he was going to do. And once you put your fate into the referee's hands, right, it's at the very least a bit of a gamble. And uh, so red card it was on the night. And yeah, we'd be very disappointed if we're, we're missing him at the same time as well, because he's one of those players, again, you know, has that experience. He's been out injured for a long time. So at this stage, the, the team is almost used to playing without him. But you can immediately see the quality that he brings back, right? He's very difficult to dispossess. Um, great at just, you know, keeping the ball, even if he is his back to goal or facing goal, you know, this kind of thing. So um, I think he was a real asset to the team. And yeah, we'd be disappointed if we're missing him again on Friday. Going back to the, to the, the game on Friday night, I suppose from uh, Slugger Rovers' point of view, um, based on first three goals anyway, I'm trying to remember the fourth goal, maybe the fourth goal as well, uh, they all came from wide balls, uh, our balls in from, from wide positions. Um, is that what uh, John Russell will be telling? His, uh, put yourself in John Russell's shoes. What will he be, be telling his troops ahead of the, the fixture on Friday night? Well, I hope I'm not scouting for, for John Russell now. <laughs> but... Uh... I think you don't have to be a genius yet to figure out that that was a, a bit of a weakness, right? So I think the first and third goals were almost carbon copies, right? Um, striker, well, either Rory Gaffney or Johnny Kenny, who I'm sure you're you're very familiar with, um, pulls away to the back post. And one of those were, uh, this is one of these partnership things, I think, Waziri Williams in the centre and Archie Davies at right back haven't really built that you know relationship yet where they can sort of cover one another and this kind of thing. And I think they look like very soft goals to give away, right? The, the crosses weren't really contested. Um, free header for the striker, you know, sort of six, seven yards from goal. And I think um, they were pretty disappointed. The goal in between them as well, the second goal, I think, was a, a deep corner that Sean Horace sort of headed back across the goal. I mean, he didn't power it back across. It sort of, it dropped into the six-yard area. And it was very disappointing now that I think Lee Grace headed it at, you know, sort of waist height over the line. And um, the fact that, you know, nobody in a white shirt was really, you know, throwing themselves at that ball or, you know, trying to win the, the first ball either. I think, you know, was very disappointing. So uh, I'd imagine if Stephen O'Donnell is working on anything on the training ground this week, it's going to be defending set pieces, defending those, you know, sort of crosses and stuff of like that and trying to do a, a bit of a better job because, yeah, that looked like a, an obvious weakness. I, I believe yourselves also conceded a goal from a set piece <laughs> on Saturday night, right? And uh, I'm not sure who's going to win the battle of the, the set pieces as that result because actually Dundalk on the attacking perspective have done fairly well from set pieces so far this season. I think uh, Andy Boyle, right, got one at, uh, against Shelburne and things like that. And Conor Malley that we've brought in, right, really seems to be um, a good man for a set-piece delivery and that kind of thing. So, 
it's one of those from an attacking perspective, you'd actually be quite happy from the, the Dadoc um, perspective at the moment, but <laughs> defending those same, you know, sort of crosses and dead pieces is a different story altogether. So we'll have to see. And can I touch on the surface at Oriel Park as well? There's a lot of talk about the, the surface at the Rendezvous. How's the surface at uh, Oriel? Yeah, mixed feelings right, on this, really, because um, I think most of the players, if you ask them, and the coach and staff, you'd say, what kind of surface would you prefer to play on? And they would all say grass. And I think there's definitely, you know, sort of history of injuries and stuff of like this at the club and, you know, people who've struggled for, for fitness and this kind of thing, where you'd have to imagine that that hard surface sort of plays a part. Now, at the same time, it's very resilient. You know, Friday, for example, torrential rain all day, but there was absolutely no hint of that game being called off. You know, there was no pitch inspection or anything like that. Um, why? Because the surface is extremely reliable, right? So it's got that kind of thing going for it. And the second thing I would say is that some of the grass surfaces in the league are not the best quality, you know, um, not to pick on yourselves, right? But there's been more than a bit of a chatter about the, the showgrounds, right? Particularly at the start of last season. Couldn't help yourself, you Martin, know. could you? You couldn't help yourself. <laughs> well, I'm sure, I'm sure you guys have lamented it as well, right? Because I'm sure Sligo Rovers would prefer to play on a pristine surface at the, the best of times as well. But um, yeah, the start of last season, I think we played yourselves, maybe it was the, the third game of the season. And I think both clubs said right, like, there was no point playing the, the ball on the ground, right? But there was a lot of lumping it forward because the surface just re didn't really support that kind of game. And I think we've seen the same kind of problems that Turner's Cross and a couple of other places too, right? So, you know, getting a, a grass pitch in isn't the answer to all your problems, right? It requires a lot of maintenance, particularly with, you know, all of the the youth football and the women's football and stuff like that, that has really got going in the past, you know, four or five years, that's putting additional pressure on these pitches. And I think the, the 4G and artificial pitches are standing up better to that, but they have their downsides too, right? So I really don't know what the right answer is. Um, unless you're Shamrock Rovers and you have, uh, you know, said Dublin County Council and the FAI paying you a bunch of money to, you know, keep that surface in, in pristine condition despite all the football that's played on it. So, um, unless the FAI themselves right, are really going to start funding or ring fencing finance for uh, the maintenance of some of these pitches, I don't know. Like it's a bit of six of one and half a dozen of the other. Martin, has there been any update on any potential takeover or anything of Dundalk or investors stepping in or that? I know there was at the start of the season, but everything seems to have gone quiet. Anything on your end? Yeah, well, there was a, the Turkish consortium, I think, uh, who it turns out, you know, were uh, talking to, I think, three or four different clubs at the time. And I think Dundalk was where the, the story first broke, right? One of the local journalists had obviously got wind of it. And um, I think put that information in the public domain maybe a little bit quicker than I think the club um, really would have preferred him to, <laughs> to do that. But at the same time, right, you can't blame people for uh, reporting on a story like that. So... Um, I don't think anything's happened at the moment is the answer. You know, that consortium have ended up investing in Shelburne. Um, I think there was a lot of hostility to that in the town at the time when it was uh, first leaked, right? Um, nobody really wanted to see themselves as a feeder club for Hull City. Um, I don't think people saw Hull City as a particularly, you know, glamorous setup or they, they didn't think that, you know, people who weren't getting into the Hull City first team, you know, who might be potential loanies, didn't really feel that they were going to be a step up from where we are now. Now, at the same time, will that be the case at Shelburne? I don't know. Like, I, I know that they were talking to somebody from Southampton or something like that before Christmas. And Damien Duff was really lamenting the fact, right, that he thought he was going to have more finance available, you know, in the, the close season. And that didn't, you know, come to be in the end. Um, will this particular deal uh, involve, you know, finance for first team affairs uh, at Shelburne and stuff like that? 
I don't know, it's very hard to predict. I think probably have to wait 12 or 18 months to, to really make a, uh, our minds up on that. As for Dundalk, right, I, I think the owners have said that they're very open to more investment if the right person comes along, but they've always maintained that they intend to, you know, stay and play a part, right? So I think anybody who's looking at coming in and having a wholesale takeover, I don't think that's the kind of thing that they're welcoming at the moment. But anybody who's interested in sort of investing with them and you know trying to, to take things on to another level, maybe more so. And uh, I, I think it was interesting, right, to see the the close season. I think with the the European money that we can expect to have at the end of the season, we were sort of predicting that there might be more investment in the squad, and that didn't really come to pass. And now there's a bit of a question that you know, does the playing surface need to be replaced? Is that you know a major financial headache for the the owners and this kind of thing? Are they trying to keep some of that European money in the bank to you know, sort of fund that? Um, it's very hard to say, right? Nobody nobody comes out and tells you these details, right? But you'd have to imagine that you know all of these things are are, are playing a part in the background. So, um, yeah, nothing on the table at the moment, I suppose, is the answer to your question. And if you were to give a score prediction for Friday night, Martin, uh, I'd say it's going to be another tight one, right? Uh, I think what we said on on our own cast yesterday was that two consecutive four nil defeats at home sort of demands a reaction, right? And I think you know neither the the players nor the staff nor the fans are going to be happy if we go out and leak any more goals. So I would imagine that it's going to be a bit of batten down the hatches uh, on Friday and try and make sure that we're we're really solid at the back and give ourselves a platform to you know try and do a little bit more you know sort of. Uh, up front albeit i don't think you know goals have been all that easy to come by um for this Dundalk team in the past you know 12 months or so so i would expect it to be very tight um i'm gonna optimistically say maybe Dundalk will nick it you know one nil um but it wouldn't be a huge surprise if it was you know one one either right lads final part of this week's show two games to look forward to easter weekend i suppose the only treats we'll be looking for this easter weekend connor are six points from the two games well, I have a couple of eggs lined up as well, so if um, we don't get the points, at least I get the eggs. Uh, six points. <laughs> uh, like, you know, having spoken to to Martin, or, uh, the Dundalk fan, you can see how inconsistent they've been. Um, so I think, look at both away. Um, Jerry, I think you said earlier on that at least uh, the surface, the car park in Oriel Park will be relatively flat. That'll that'll benefit us. But the key thing is a clean sheet, I think. And hopefully they have no uh, Pat Hoban. Uh, hopefully Benson's red car doesn't get overturned. And um, I think that will play into our hands. So look at a clean sheet and a little bit more action in around uh, Max Mata. Uh, like we probably didn't touch on it, but Bulger and um, Morhan were excellent. I felt in the Bulls game. I think if they bring that kind of uh, if they bring that kind of uh, level of of um, of action to to the game, would be in with a shout. And maybe uh, Caelan Barlow in a ten might just offer something different. And but I guess yeah, the fear is um, you know Shams put four past them. They were also beaten. Uh, 4-0 in the Leicester Senior Cup, which isn't a big deal, but still it's eight, go- eight goals they've conceded uh, at home. So I look, and I think the first thing is a clean sheet. And and after that, if we if we can nick a win, it'll be great. And certainly, Sean, we have the players at the, the top end of the pitch if we want to, to nick the win. Oh, yeah. Not that I'm be overly confident heading up there. Look, they're decent this year, so they are on Doc O'Donnell, as much as an arsehole he is. He does set his teams up well, but um, 
you know, I think we've, we stand a good chance. Like, they have a few injuries as well, as well as suspensions coming through. You know, I think they have a few lads with uh, niggly hamstring and groin injuries or something like that. So they're missing a few players. And as it is, their squad is very, very thin. I think they basically have a, a realistic squad of about 15 or 16. Um, so look, I'd be very hopeful anyway, heading up there. And looking back on it last season as well, just how Russell approached the game, you know, we tore them apart. And, you know, it will be a counter-attacking side that we play. So I would, again, I'd go with Connor. I'd like to see Barlow come back in. Um, whether that be in the deeper role that I already talked about or he comes in as a 10, one or another, I would like to see him start one. Um, and it'll just be interesting to see does he go with Levac again at right back. That's That'll be the good one because as good as he was against Bowes, sometimes that can be a little bit of adrenaline and the complete unknown for the opposition of not being, you know, Bowes wouldn't have had a clue that Frank was going to start. I don't think anyone would have guessed that. So that'll just be interesting to see how that fares out. If he goes with Lee back again, or does he change it? I'd say he probably would have to keep him just for that bit of consistency as well. And no doubt Mahan will obviously continue to start in at centre half, which is only a good thing for us. So look, I, I do think we, we, a win is kind of needed and I think we're well capable of going up there and getting it. Yeah, look, Sean says we're well capable of getting a win up there. I think, again, as, as bad as the surface is, it might actually suit us that we can, you know, don't need to take a, an extra touch on the ball and move it quicker. Um, and again, like Connor was saying, we just need to get people in and around Mata um, and feed off him. I would keep Frank at right back. But, look, to be fair, we look pretty solid right throughout the game apart from the the goal that we gave away and again that just comes down to as I said 66 times just comes down to that bit of desire and a bit of hunger and a bit of you know bit of just desire just clear the ball you know it's no point working hard all week and then conceding shit goals like that so hopefully it's a long horrible trip to Dundalk so I think you know if we don't I think I think we'll win 2-0 to be honest I think I'd be fairly confident back to basics I'm apprehensive I know that Royal Park is is, uh, is a graveyard for uh, for Rovers in, in recent times for uh, football in general Donald well that's true well, we qualified for Europe there three years ago well yeah. uh, I think is, is that Ronan the last Cochran. time we won there though is it could be. Oh, could we be. won there last last year. We won oh, there. We did. a fairly oh, good sorry. record up there. We're right. Right. We 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 Come on, Donald, for fuck's sake. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> I'm a, I I just I don't like it. I think like they're on the back of uh, they're on the back of, of two heavy defeats at home. So they're going to be able to with a point to prove as well. So I think it's going to be a tough game. I'd be quite honest about it. I think it's going to be a very very tough game. Um, I don't know. I take a draw now if you were to give it to me. And maybe an in-nil draw. Um, I suppose a clean sheet would be be important. Clean sheet, I just, I just, um, I just think it's going to be very, very tight. Um, hopefully, I'm wrong, and we hockey them. But I, just, I don't know. I, I just, I, as I say, they've lot to prove at home. Um, they've draw, and we're under a bit of pressure. We're, I don't know. I'd take a draw now. That's that. That's it. Would I be the only one in thinking this? Or... Does anyone else feel that we're going to hockey someone soon enough? I get, I get that feeling that it'll all click for us one of these. Yeah, well, games yeah. We're going to absolutely annihilate them. 
like I'm thinking back again uh, again about the Bulls game. Like uh, some of the, f- the football that we played was great going forward, but we played too much football. Like mm. Bogdan was in position. Remember that ball that he flicked in with the outside of his right foot over yeah. towards? It might be Matt. I can't remember. But like that was that was wonderful. But like he could have had a pop, have a shot, had, yeah. and and then see what happens after the shot. Like you know, there's actually one as well at the end where Hartman has the same opportunity where he's cutting in on his left left and he thinks it over, looking for the, the cheeky run in behind into the box. Too much football. Where mm. all he has to do is just have a go. And like Talbot's a short enough keeper. You know what I mean? If you get it in far enough into the corner, he won't reach it. And he's shit. We never mentioned Bulger's effort from from their own half. And, and we never shall again. <laughs> no, that was brutal. <laughs> he wasn't far off. He was... No, oh, you, you were, you were well, in the main yeah. stand. You were in yeah. the main stand. And I was actually, at the time, I was surprised because they were like... Oh, we're all clapping, but it was like about honest God, it was like about ten yards wide. It was and horrific, it was, and the more the ball travelled, the more the ball actually was going away from goal. Right, okay. It's just optics. funny too, like, optics. but like, like that too, like that too, though. You know, uh, Sean, you said about uh, the foul on Frank for the the lead up to the corner, which led to the goal. Yeah. Again, sometimes you normally would be in the main stand, and you probably wouldn't have picked up that. Had no. you not been behind the goal, whereas where we were, it was quite clearly a foul. So it's funny too how you see different things, you know, depending of of where game, you are on the ground. Yeah. yeah, and then we go on to Monday night, lads. It's another away game against Shells. It's a, it's a difficult one to to predict. Well, Shells have kind of been inconsistent themselves, but uh, there'll probably be another tight one on Monday night, Jerry. Yeah, I, to be honest, I've actually been impressed by Shelburne. Um, I think they're a much better team than what their the the results would suggest. They're like Derry were absolutely blessed. It was kind of similar enough to I suppose to our own game, uh, and I think the goal actually came from a corner as well. Um, just poor defending ball was whipped into the the back, not even whipped in, came to the back post, and uh, the lad the sign from Longford, I can't remember his name, Great. really good player. Yeah, that that guy, it came off his off his off his off his uh, upper leg. To go in, so it was very similar to, very similar to the game, very similar to the goal that that we conceded. But Shelburne, I thought were probably the better team overall, and um, so won't be an easy. Look, there's no easy games in this league, lads. Like you can see from the league table, you know, you win a game, you're in the top three. You lose a game, you're in the bottom three. It's a ten team division. It's going to be nip and tuck the whole way. The two teams that we thought would be running away with the league even by now. That hasn't transpired now. I think Shamrock Rovers and Derry will come good and they will finish the in the top two. Um, I think it's between... An, we're in a league with Bowes, Shells, Dundalk. Um, so I'd like to... I, I'd like to see us kind of taking three points maybe against Dundalk and maybe getting a, a draw versus Shells. I think four points over the next two games would be a really good return. I think we're more likely to get a, to get points from Dundalk than Shells. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah. And Donald, I suppose the question I'd start with yourself, the final question would be, out of six points, how many are we taking from the two games? Um, I think four would be an excellent return. I can see two. Sean? Uh, I'd love to tell you four as well, but um, three. We're losing one of them. Jerry, did you say four? I said four, yeah. Jesus, Donald, what's wrong with you tonight? You're normally predicting five nil and four nils and all that. So. I'm, I'm no changing pa- my, 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 my... He's no pyjamas on. He's still annoyed about Jimmy. He's no pyjamas on. 
he's going to I'm, uh, I'm still uh, I'm kind of just changing the mentality I'm kind of using a bit of reverse psychology on myself I'm just going to be really kind of <laughs> whatever works weekend. <laughs> you are getting like a bit carried away lately in fairness yeah you need to step back and bring it down a level or two I, was getting a bit, I, did, I got a bit excited last, last week pajamas must be in the wash are they yeah <laughs> <laughs> and we're going to have to be careful between running in the toilet with the laptop and don't with no pyjamas we'll just see what we're going to be wearing next week boys <laughs> we're going to see the top half might say he's got nothing on the bottom half oh believe you me hey Brian Dobson will never look him with me <laughs> <laughs> see folks there's a reason this isn't broadcast on YouTube anymore <laughs> but I will say oh, sorry just I will say one thing uh in fairness to John Russell, he's always after any time we've ever had a bad result, he's always got a positive reaction from from his from his side. So I suppose that would kind of temper my um, my negativity a bit as well because I know that he he'll get a tune out for for uh, for five minutes as well. So nothing, we'll see what happens. But I take four points now if you're off him tonight. And Connor, uh, I think I think if we got a win in the dog, I just can't see us. I, I think the game in uh, Talk is going to be a fucking shit show. Uh, so I think if we got three points at uh, Oriel it'd be brilliant I was thinking three myself so we'll soon find out we'll find out thank you Connor. thank you Ronan thank you Sean thank you thank you Jerry. cheers Ronan up the Rovers keep the faith lads keep the faith and Gurmi the Mog with Dorn what's the road Ronan keep your trousers on those thousands of Sligo people I was proud of the Dalton one. Best town in the world. Best town in the world. Best town in the world. More drama here. Gilali. North. Elding. 3-2. They'll be looking for Stenson's head away at the far post. And over it comes Elliot. Stenson. 1-1. It's brilliant. 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 Here comes Quigley. 